Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. On a mixtape just around the corner Did a lot in California Can't wait to drop this on you Yeah, they gon' have fun with that Smash like song and my song's gon' break through like a running back Hello and welcome to the podcast That is always up to speed with Formula One It is Friday, November 18th, 2022 My name is Mark Hamilton And joining me as always My friend, my colleague, my neighbor, my frenemy Mr. Mark Daly, and we sit here with one Grand Prix left in this, uh, I don't want to say epic, but this eventful 2022 Formula Championship. Yeah, eventful. One race left certainly doesn't live up to the expectation and the drama of the 2021 championship. But my friend, we sit here on the eve of the conclusion of another championship. There's still some things to look forward to, and we'll get there at the end, but Right off the top, my friend, I got to call this out. Sebastian Vettel, his last race in Formula One, possibly. Uh, Daniel Ricciardo, <laughs> possibly his last race in Formula One. Mick Schumacher, we'll get to that later, possibly his last race mm-hmm. in Formula One. And of course, I would be I would be doing all of our Canadian listeners a disservice if I didn't mention, of course, that it is most definitely, I think, Nicholas Latifi's final race in Formula One. But my friend, how the heck are you? Good, good. You know, it's funny, you, you know, as you mentioned that we're at the last race of the season. When I was getting the post-race show ready last weekend, I was going through and just getting an image ready to put up uh, for, for the YouTube one because I put an audio version of that uh, that recap up on the YouTube channel. And I found the little graphic I made for the Brazilian Grand Prix from last year. Do you realize that since the Brazil 2021, we did 99 episodes together? I was just like, wow, Holy smell. yeah, 99. So I think this is, you know, a hundred in the last. So, I mean, we're basically pumping out two a week and, you know, there's been a couple of yep. times where we've only done one show a week. And I think there was one week where the stars just aligned. We didn't do any show, but I mean, that's just how regularly we've been pumping this podcast out. So it's, it's kind of crazy, but yeah, strange though. I, I was just thinking as you were talking about, you know, that this being Seb's possible last race, according to Lewis, he, he'll he'll be back. Uh, Seb basically said, well, if you give up your car, I, I definitely come back and take your Mercedes. <laughs> I think that's Seb, what Seb was getting at. Ricardo's possibly last race. Nicholas uh, Latifi's last race. And it's funny because when, when you uh, brought that to light, I just kind of like flash back to the 2014 Spanish Grand Prix, which is the last time we had enough money to do something and not take our kids along. <laughs> but, you know, Ricardo and Vettel were racing together at Red Bull that year. And I was just thinking, wow, how much has you know transpired for those two drivers since 2014? Just incredible. I mean, I, I know it's eight years and Time is a little bit accelerated, obviously, in the world of Formula One, but a bit of a, a mind-blowing jersey, a journey for Sebastian Vettel and, and uh, Danny Ricciardo in Formula One. 
You know, it's it's interesting. We were we were doing a spaces chat earlier tonight, and we were we were t- talking about Verstappen and the fact that a lot of the things he does on the track and off the track, and the things that he says, and the things that his support network say, have painted him as something of a, a villain for a lot of Formula One fans. And mm. we look at Sebastian Vettel now, and he's very much a, a social justice ambassador, and he's an environmental ambassador. But you remember as fondly as I do, well, maybe not as fondly, mm-hmm. but you remember as as vividly as I do that if you flash back to 2010, 11, 12, 13, that as fondly as we all think of Sebastian Vettel now, he was very much the villain of Formula One and extended far past the multi multi 2-1 incident with teammate Mark Webber. But he was absolutely the villain, the ruthless villain of Formula One. Definitely, definitely, and it, it's funny too because you see Seb now. You see, he looks like a looks like he should be playing for a top level soccer club or something. Where he's got like the long hair and like the like the headband and stuff like that. It's just like I don't know. Maybe he's getting his the look right for the FIFA World Cup, which starts in a couple of days in Qatar. Which you know I'm obviously very excited about, and so are millions of other people. So uh, something definitely look forward to once uh, the F1 season wraps up in a couple of days. But it's it's interesting too the look that Seb. Is rocking these days. Was it like at the beginning of 2020? I guess, yeah, it was the first season when he was at Aston Martin. There were some of those pictures sort of floating around sort of pre-season where he had like the super short hair and it looked like he was kind of like balding in the front. And I mean, now it's just like, it's like all these sort of like different looks for Sebastian Vettel. I can't really kind of like (laughs) sort of reconcile all these different looks for him, but it'll be kind of strange. And I, I know Lewis was kind of joking when he said you know you'll be back and that formula one has a way of pulling people back in but i only feel that lewis i I feel like there's a kernel of truth to lewis's comments What, what, what do you think yeah, I feel the same way and, and you know, asked about this over the course of the last week or so. Sebastian Vettel hasn't completely closed the door to a return to F1. And certainly we've seen drivers return, Fernando Alonso being one of the most recently. And we, of course, saw Jensen Button return for that one race cameo in 2017, although, of course, that didn't end so well. But he had exited the sport at the end of 2016, returned for that one race cameo when Fernando was over contending for the Indy 500. And I think with, I think with Seth, if the right opportunity presents itself, I think he would be he would be happy to happy to return to Formula One, and I think all of us would be much better for it. Yeah, it's it's funny. Like, um, I I just get that same feeling that that he he won't be away for for too long. But but who knows? Maybe once he 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 walks away from the paddock, maybe he will keep you know make that clean break. But it feels different to me than when Rosberg retired. But I mean. Rosberg, I mean, that was unexpected. He was kind of retired when he was on top, you know. And and Seb, I mean, this is kind of like the the Washington Wizards kind of era for Sebastian Vettel. And, you know, I mean, he has the Michael Jordan serious, Washington Wizards yeah, era. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But 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 who knows? I mean, certainly, I mean, he's had an impressive career in Formula One the, the last couple of years, notwithstanding. I mean, four-time world champion and just, um, you know, a whole bunch of records to his name and just, uh, you know, you got to give the guy respect uh, where respect is due. So before we get into um, more of the show, shall we do a, a championship update? you want to start with the Formula One World Championship? Or you want to start with the fantasy update? Because well, let's just start like with the you, I got it locked and loaded. Because okay, I, let's, let's, I actually that, have That actually means something. Yeah, and for you got once locked it's and loaded. Up, the site is functioning. It's 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 working as expected. Uh, no way. Here we go. No way. No way. Here we go. <laughs> so I think we we may be looking 
at the championship crystallizing. So Andrew T is currently on top with 4,438 points. The second place contender is at 4,305 points. So there's 132 points now separating the first and second place. I don't think anyone's coming for you, Andrew. I think you have this locked up, but rounding out the top 10, Whitman R, Janko West, Thaddeus F, Radic W, Brian W, Marshall W, Adam J, and Daffy A. So we go into the final race weekend. This championship has been incredibly close the entire time. Oftentimes, the top 10 have been separated by only 100 points. So shout out to Andrew T for kind of working his magic, that final race and creating some separation between him and the rest of the field. I think, my friend, I think mm-hmm. you may have secured this championship. Well, we'll see. Sounds like it. Uh, but, uh, you know, anything can and often uh, does happen. Okay, very good. Uh, now, I, you know, I did have the championship uh, update here. And Whoa, now let me, look oh, there who's we go. not there organized today. It's I was. Not me it's for just like once. I like multiple things open on my 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 screen here and i kind of lost it anyways All after right. 22 races max verstappen leading or was it 22 or 21 lost track now after the brazilian grand prix max verstappen 429 points charles leclerc and sergio perez second and third locked at 290 points apiece george russell fourth in the championship with 265 lewis hamilton rounding out the top five with 240 but he's only six points ahead of carlos Sainz. so you know there could be some changes in the driver's championship i mean obviously something's going to happen between checo and charles this weekend so that is obviously the big storyline that everybody's uh, going to be watching so we'll just uh, flip over here to the constructor side no real surprise uh this one of course just like the drivers championship was uh, wrapped up uh, a little while ago red bull still on top obviously on that one they're not going to be toppled now crowned constructors championship ferrari 524 points only 19 points ahead of mercedes who are third with 505 points in the constructors alpine and then mclaren rounding out the top five in the constructors so there could be a change there wouldn't that be a shock if mercedes somehow managed to leapfrog ferrari at the final race of the season and and don't say it won't happen because mercedes has been in a little bit uh, better form lately and ferrari tends to ferrari at times but the question is uh, do they want to do they want to because there's a consequence right that exactly ahead of ferrari you're going to secure less wind tunnel testing time so obviously i don't think mercedes would do anything to compromise the opportunity or the prospect of finishing second in the championship but when you look at it kind of from a tactical perspective, maybe it's not so advantaged, advantageous or advantageous. Surely you're going to score some incremental prize money, but if you're Mercedes, does it really matter? Yeah, exactly. And, you know, it, it's funny, uh, like, as much as you say that, I just can't uh, help uh, but wonder that if they, you know, that, you know, I just, to me, I think it's in their DNA to win in whatever way it is. I mean, I know that, Second in the constructors really isn't, you know, what they're they're programmed to what they're all about, but it'd be salvaging something in a season that looked Absolutely. like it was going to be a complete Absolutely. throwaway. I mean, because I mean, we were sitting here even just a week ago saying that this is a very it's very possible that this is a team that's not going to win a race this season. And lo and behold, uh, they did just that at uh, Brazil this last uh, weekend. And and now is are we going to be talking about is this going to be the season that Lewis hasn't won a race in how many years? I don't even know off the top of my head. I mean, he could win on Sunday. I mean, chances are that he won't just based on the fact that Mercedes just haven't had the car underneath them uh, all year. But as we saw in Brazil, that 
that uh, on you know on certain tracks at certain times. I mean, George looked good, the car looked good, even Lewis looked good. So, yeah, more to talk getting ahead about of myself a little one. bit. But one of the the stats that surfaced over the course of the last couple of days was the fact that, and I didn't pick up on this, but 2022, my friend, is the first year since 2010 that three different teams have secured a one-two finish. And to your point, if Very we flash cool. back to the early months of the season, I don't think any of us, especially when they were struggling with the um, underbody porpoising challenges. I don't think any of us mm-hmm. would have anticipated the fact that Lewis was going to finish the season with five second place finishes, that George was going to win mm-hmm. his first Grand Prix plus a sprint race, and that they would have a one-two finish in a power track like Brazil. I think you're right that their trajectory has changed significantly from where it was mm-hmm. three or four months ago versus Ferrari, whose trajectory has also changed, but not necessarily for the better. And now we go into 2023. Yeah. And if I'm Red Bull, hey, we may have handedly won two championships, but all of a sudden we've got a much more potent looking Mercedes team. And surely Ferrari can't get worse in the offseason. They're only going to improve. So 2023 promises to be a much more competitive championship than what we saw in 2022. Yeah. And not to mention the fact that they're going to be handcuffed because of the uh, the overspend issue Absolutely. and the reduction Great just call. and also the reduction in in testing and and, right. and everything, just the fact that their constructors championship and the potential toxic situation in the garage between Max and, oh, and we'll Checo, which we're going to talk. Yeah, <laughs> that's a pretty juicy one. You know, I, I think that if you're if you're Toto and Mattia Bonato, I think if you're Mer- Ferrari and Mercedes, I think you're kind of looking ahead to 2023 with, uh, yeah, boys, we're, we're coming oh, for you sure. because yeah, I think it's setting up, you know, to be a very, very interesting uh, season uh, next year. So another one um, interesting here, another stat that you pulled out here, that uh, with Seb retiring after this uh, race this weekend, that Lewis will have more wins than the rest of the grid combined. That is uh, just absolutely amazing. And then there's another cool graphic here that comes from uh, F1 Stats Guru. And this is a cool one, Magic Milestone. So the first drivers to reach 50, 100, 150, and 200 races with one constructor. So the first driver to reach the half-century mark with one uh, constructor it was the uh, the legendary Bruce McLaren. He did that at the 1964 German Grand Prix, and that was 50 races for Cooper. The first driver to reach 100 races, the century mark with uh, the same constructor, was Jacques Lafitte. He did that at the 1982 Canadian Grand Prix. The first driver to get to 150 Grand Prix with the same team is David Coulthard. He did that at the 2004 Grand Prix for McLaren. And uh, Lafitte, uh, he uh, got to the century mark driving for the now defunct Ligier team. Who's Ligier morphed into? Because a lot of these teams, they just kind of get handed off and rebranded. I'm not really sure where, you know, which is the, uh, you know, the, where that legacy lies. Um, I'm sure somebody who's a little bit more on top of this can, uh, can pull that one out of the bag. But then the first driver to hit the 200 races with a single constructor will be none other than Sir Lewis Hamilton. And he will do that this weekend in Abu Dhabi. Obviously, this would have happened a while ago. You know, Lewis has missed a race or two here or there you know, over the last couple of years because of COVID. So there you go, 200 races for Mercedes. And when I saw that stat, I'm like, wow, that really seems like it went really quickly. And I mean, when we have 20 plus races of a year, of course, it accelerates compared to the old days where there's like 15, 16 races a year. But still, it, it feels like that went awfully quickly. Or is that just me, Hammy? Yeah, feels like it went by so fast. And, you know, it, it still, and obviously you and I weren't doing anything together. We didn't know each other, but it just seems like yesterday that, 
the F1 intranet was tearing itself apart about Lewis's announcement in 2012 that he was going to leave McLaren and take that huge risk and go to Mercedes. And mm-hmm. that, that just seems so vivid in, in my memory uh, that it's, it's hard to reconcile the fact that he's now won six championships with Mercedes, seven constructors titles, and he's now raced in 200 Grand Prix, which is absolutely mind boggling. And based on everything that we've heard from both Lewis and Toto, there could be another hundred. Grand Prix with him or in him with this team over the next next half decade or so. Yeah, you just have, have to think that um, that Lewis is just not going to be satisfied after the way that uh, 2022 went and that, uh, I mean, he says all the right things, right? And, and, and I feel like he's still motivated to uh, be in Formula One and it's going to be interesting. You'll see what happens uh, next year because, I mean, George has a really, really good season. I mean, he's done, I, I think, I mean, he's not a rookie by any stretch of the imagination, but it just went to prove that that one race that he filled in for uh, for Lewis in what was in the end of 2020 at Sahir when uh, when when he had COVID, and that just wasn't a fluke. I know that he, the the final his final placing in that race wasn't the greatest, but he had like a botched pit stop, and the team really let him down. But I mean, he acquitted himself very well, and he proved at that point that you know that this guy has something, you know, that, that the, he's a good Formula One driver. I think that George Russell has had an exceptional year in, in Formula One. And I, I don't think there's any question going into 2023, who has the best driver pairing on the grid? Hands down, it's it's Mercedes. You got Lewis Hamilton, the GOAT, seven-time world champion, with the hot young prospe- prospect, uh, George Russell. And, you know, if these guys get the car underneath them, I mean, wow, I mean, it's 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 scary, right? I mean, Mark, everybody's going to be looking at them. It's really interesting that you bring that up because this past week, Total himself acknowledged that three years of of George Russell at Williams was probably a year too many. That he had probably earned and deserved a shot with a with a much more competitive team earlier than he he ultimately deserved. But if you look at the if you look at the F kind of I was going to say the FY twenty two the fiscal year twenty two. Sorry, let me step mm-hmm. out of my business shoes for a couple of minutes. <laughs> <laughs> if you look at the 2022 Formula One championship, it's it's kind of a, a a tale of two different championships for both for both George and and Lewis. And I think coming into the championship, George was naturally, maybe expectedly, just in a massively better headspace than his teammate Lewis. Like Lewis, if you look at him when he was interacting, especially with the media in the first two, three months of the season. He wasn't in a great place. He was very critical of the team. He was very critical of the car. And George was just putting in these stellar top five finishes week after week in a car that was clearly struggling with the uh, downforce and was clearly struggling with, with the porpoising. And I think he put together a very, very consistent performance in the first half of the year. And I think he outperformed the car. And I think as the cars come together, he's now in a position where he can win Grand Prix. And having said that, if you look at the second half of the season, you could argue that Lewis has possibly been the best driver on the grid and arguably one of the fastest drivers on the grid. So I think to your point, this just tees up a really exciting 2023 campaign where you go into the season with possibly the two best drivers because if obviously if you look at if you look at Red Bull you've got Max and you've got Sergio but there's a significant delta between the two of them and if you look at Ferrari who's the other big team of the other rich team of Formula One you've got two very 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 
talented drivers, but I think it, I think you would I think it would be a challenge to argue that either of them are at Georgia's level at this point. But we'll see. We'll see. Obviously, they've suffered with some reliability issues with those cars and some of obviously the strategy calls from the the Ferrari pit wall. But I would put a lot of money into Mercedes stock going into twenty twenty three. Oh, totally, totally. Hey, Hammy, let's take a quick break. And when we come back on the other side, we've got a lot of things uh, to talk about before we preview the race uh, this weekend. And we're going to go, first of all, to a couple of uh, listener questions. So we'll do that in just a moment. Uh, So don't go away. We'll be right back. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Okay, welcome back to the podcast. It is always up to speed. Mark Daly, Mark Hamilton here. And Mark, you uh, just in the, the previous segment, you made a really good reference uh, to Ferrari. And uh, this uh, really segues nicely into the first uh, question that we have from uh, Larry Walden. And Larry's question is, why doesn't Ferrari have a number one driver? But the way Charles opened up this year, do you think uh, if they had had prioritized his driving style slash strategy, we would be seeing a championship race in Yas Marina and not a battle for second? Well, you know, that that's a great race. And well, you know, ultimately, I think a lot of it comes down to you know, the, the car and the team itself. I mean, we've seen a number of I'm not even going to call them errors. I'm going to call them tactical blunders. I mean, they were just so obviously the wrong call. So there, there was a lot of bad calls that were made on the pit wall. And then the, the, the equipment, the car itself really let uh, let them down at different times as well. I mean, there's no doubt that this uh, Ferrari is is a very, very good car, good car, and it's been quick. But the question that I've asked myself, just based on the number of mechanical failures that we've seen throughout the this, this, the the season, have they been pushing this car beyond, you know, pushing it to the edge of the envelope, right? And you know, a lot of these things that we've just been seeing is just the fact that the equipment has just been you know, breaking, just uh, due to, to to stressing it, but. You know, it, it's really hard to 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 make that call. I mean, 
I, I think that if the car was more reliable, I think that sure that uh, we, we've definitely seen that the the Ferrari on his day can can definitely challenge the Red Bull. But I think ultimately, when it comes down to a battle of of the minds, I think that uh, Red Bull just you know they they have their strategies, their 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 tactics. They just always seem to be on point with that stuff. And for whatever reason, Ferrari struggle with that, and and it's not a new thing. Now, they keep saying that they've made changes and that these things are going to get better. But I mean, ultimately, you know, as uh, Tom Cruise said in Jerry Maguire, show me the money, right? You know, I'm going to say the same thing to Ferrari. You got to prove it to me before I, I can believe it. Say, yeah, you, we've made changes. We got the right people there. But who knows? I mean, it's uh, yeah, it's it, it certainly is a, an interesting one to ponder. But certainly I do think, you know, the first part of Larry's question is a little bit more interesting is why do they not have a declared number one driver? I mean, Charles has been there for a couple of years. I mean, he proved right from the beginning that he was more than capable of uh, matching and bettering Sebastian Vettel. I mean, just remember... <clears throat> excuse me, back to the Australian Grand Prix in 2019, he basically had to, to fall in line and just uh, follow Seb around. And he played the good teammate and the, uh, you know, the, the young up and comer rather than, you know, being aggressive and flying by him. And then you go to Bahrain. I mean, he was, he was odds on to, to win that one, but you know, he had a mechanical failure towards the end. And, and from then on, I mean, it was, it was pretty obvious that, uh, that Charles was going to be the future for that team and that uh, he wasn't, uh, he, he wasn't going to play second fiddle even to four times uh, your world champion Sebastian Vettel but it's interesting too because like I say Charles has been there he's won races for them and then Carlos is a more recent uh, addition I mean he's he's done well but I mean you know has he really done enough for Ferrari to be in that you know conversation I mean you know have a driver that's you know a number one or a number two or undeclared or a 1A and a 1B that that's a bit of a head scratcher I have to admit that that they haven't really committed to 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 Charles or even Carlos for that matter. What, what do you think, Hammond? I guess the question is, haven't they? I, I mean, to me, Charles is the number one driver. Or is it just understood? Yeah, and I think it's generally understood. And I think sometimes teams don't want to have to make that declaration. And sometimes they'll just let the results on the racetrack speak for themselves. But my interpretation has always been that Charles is very much the number one driver there. He ultimately helped displace Sebastian Vettel after the 2020 season, I suppose what it was. What was, I can't even, I'm drawing a blank now. What was Sebastian's last year with Ferrari? Was it 2020? No, it would have been twenty. Yeah, I guess it would have been, or it was a twenty nineteen. I'm kind of struggling now with yeah, the COVID me too. blur like you because it's late on a Thursday night. Yeah, but of course, yeah, no kidding, right? Of course, Charles look, really emerged as a as a top talent in twenty nineteen, very much displaced Sebastian Vettel from that team and that organization. And to me, he's clearly the number one driver. Yeah. And even if you look at the the World Championship standings, which you just did a couple of minutes ago, Charles currently sits in number two, mm-hmm. two hundred ninety points versus uh, Carlos Sainz with two hundred thirty four points. So there's sixty point delta between the two of them. Of course, Charles has won three Grand Prix this month or this month, this year. Uh, Carlos Sainz has won one. Um, if you look at the split between the two of them in terms of qualifying, it it obviously favors Charles Leclerc to me. It, it's obvious that Charles Leclerc is the number one driver. He's paid like a number one driver. Um, mm-hmm. they, they've developed the car around him as if he's the number one driver. But the other question here that I do think is interesting is, and shout out Larry, thank you so much for the question, but he says, with the way Charles opened up the year, do you think if they would have prioritized his driving style strategy, we would be seeing a championship race in Yas Marina? I don't think so. Um, I think that you often see ebbs and flows, and I think sometimes you see surges in cars being able to make up significant 
significant ground in terms of development mm-hmm. over the course of the season. I think I think Ferrari started the season in a really great place from a developmental yeah. perspective. And I don't think the development of their car, especially from a top end speed perspective, has kept up with Red Bull or Mercedes. I think Mercedes has eclipsed them from a performance perspective, certainly from a downforce perspective in high speed corners. Um, and I think they were left in the dust. And I don't think I don't really think that anything they could have done in terms of prioritizing Charles would have changed the outcome of this championship. Certainly it would have been closer and the championship wouldn't have been decided so quickly, but I don't think there's anything Ferrari could have done to have closed the gap on Red Bull enough to have made this, this championship particularly competitive despite their strong start. Well, that's the thing, right? I mean, as soon as Ferrari started to struggle, I mean, Red Bull just put the, the the pedal to the metal, so to speak, and they just opened up that that gap in the championship. And pretty soon, like, there was so much uh, daylight between Max and Charles and Red Bull and Ferrari that it was going to take a catastrophic failure on the, the, the Red Bull you know, side for that to change, right? Which was always going to be a very, very remote uh, possibility. But yeah, <clears throat> excuse me. I, I think that's, you know, looking back at the season, I think that's what a lot of people are going to talk about in, in retrospect was, you know, could Ferrari have that, uh, you know, perpetuated and lengthened that run at the beginning of the season? Because, you know, if you go back to Saudi, that, uh, you know, those last, was it five or 10 laps? Max and Charles going at it head to head. That was great racing. That was so much fun to watch. And it was really sort of tantalizing. I think a lot of people were really hoping that's how the season was going to go from there. And sadly, it uh, it just didn't play out that way. All right. Well, cool. Thanks for the question, Larry. So moving on to the next one is uh, the question is from Emma Dendy. And her question is very random question uh, to which one of you might know the answer are podium bottles of sparkling wine given to the drivers for their celebration already uncorked? I've never seen corks flying, and honestly, it sounds like a safety hazard, but with everything going on around the podium for the ceremony, setting out open bottles seems like it could lead to other mishaps. I and definitely investigated this. So You this did, was, you yeah, did, so okay. I didn't know, Emma, thank you, shoutouts. Thank you so much for the question, and it took us a while to get to this. So... I don't know definitively, but based on reviewing an extensive amount of podium footage, I can definitively say that the bottles are corked and you often see, you'll often see the drivers bang the bottom of the bottle. So they'll, they'll hammer the bottle downwards onto one of the podium steps to which the force of the pressure in the bottle ejects the cork and you can see the water spray everywhere. So they are definite. I don't know if they're specifically corked, but they are definitely sealed when they're handed to the drivers, mm-hmm. which is what of course allows the, and that actually, you know, she makes another really great point here where she speaks to the fact that um, sparkling wine, I also didn't know this, but a couple of years ago, Formula One made a transition from champagne to sparkling wine, although that doesn't apply in in all Grand Prix. So in the tracks in the Gulf region, they'll typically use rose water or they'll typically do some other sparkling non-alcoholic beverage. But yeah, for the most part, it's sparkling wine now, not champagne, but definitely the bottles are, if not corked, they're definitely sealed when they're handed to the drivers on the podium. Very cool, very cool. I actually, I I didn't know that, but uh, I know that they. I do remember that they did make that transition. It, it's only in the last what three or four years, maybe not even that long. So, yeah. 
kind of a, an interesting one. All right, let's move along. So where what, what's next on the schedule? Okay, Liberty Media is planning to split the Braves off into an independent publicly traded entity. I'm going to throw this one back to you, Hammy, because that, uh, you know, sports news and sports or the business side of sports is very much in your wheelhouse. Yeah, Liberty Media is this big U.S. Uh, media conglomerate, and they've kind of got three big assets. Big one media, them, watch out. Big media. They've got one big <laughs> asset in the Atlanta Braves, and if you're not familiar the Atlanta Braves are one of the top spending teams in Major League Baseball. And part of the Atlanta Braves organization is this huge, sprawling sports and entertainment complex in the northeast pocket of Atlanta. The team used to play in downtown Atlanta. The owners built this sprawling ballpark and entertainment complex at the intersection of a couple of freeways outside of downtown. So the Atlanta Braves are a big chunk of their business. They also own a huge chunk, a majority stake in Cirrus XM, and they also own a significant chunk of Live Nation, which of course owns Ticketmaster. And of course, uh, Liberty's been under a lot of fire this week because of the way the whole yeah, Taylor yep. Swift ticket fiasco has played out. And then they also own the Formula One <gasps> Dude, group, don't F1. be bad-mouthing T-Swizzle. Come Dude, on, man. never, never. I'm all in for Taylor <laughs> Swift. But uh, the group has ultimately made the decision that they are going to spin uh, the Atlanta Braves off into their own company. And I, I quote here from batterypower.com. Liberty Media's John Malone announced Thursday that the company's board of directors has authorized management to pursue a split off of the Atlanta Braves in its real estate development project. The move, according to Liberty Media president and CEO Greg Maffei, who was the one that was under fire because of the whole Taylor Swift uh, ticketing fiasco, will better highlight the strong value of the Braves organization. And I quote, you may have noticed there's a high demand out there for sports assets. Money is flowing into the ecosystem with new players of all sorts driving demand. Among baseball teams, Baltimore and Washington are rumored to be completing a sale. We'd argue, I think, with some reasons that the Braves are a far more attractive asset. So they've decided in the effort to better compartmentalize the baseball team and its profitability opportunity or upside that they're going to basically spin it off into an independent entity, independent financial entity, which is interesting. Yeah, totally. And it's interesting, too, because uh, Greg Maffei is, uh, is a name that pops up uh, every once in a while when it comes to, to Liberty Media and the F1 news uh, as well. But yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, the, the Braves are kind of like one of those marquee Major League Baseball franchises. All thanks to TBS yeah. in the 90s, man. All yeah. thanks to yeah, TBS. Yeah. Because, of course, TBS was one of the few... I would say networks that had national coverage in the US and Canada. Mm -hmm. So whether you were living in Washington State or British Columbia or Newfoundland or Florida, if you had a cable package, you probably had TBS and TBS aired almost all of the Braves games. So the Braves have these pockets of fans all over the continent, very much like the Chicago Cubs did. Was it the Cubs? Yeah. Was it the Cubs or the White Sox that were on WGN? I should know this. But anyways, that was very, very similar to, uh, to the TBS experience. Yeah. Okay. So moving back to Formula One itself, and now this is going to kind of kick off uh, something. We'll start it now. I'm sure we'll get to the next break and then beyond because there's just so much to unpack here. So uh, Max Verstappen, after the, uh, the the Grand Prix last week, and was handed um, a couple of penalty points for that uh, incident with uh, Lewis Hamilton on the opening lap. Now, Hammy, you did get a chance to jump on the post-race recap with myself and Tim, and you and I haven't really talked about that incident. We've talked about the race itself, but we didn't really talk about that first quarter incident with Lewis Hamilton and, and Max Verstappen. So I'm keen to hear, first of all, your two cents on how you saw that, because what happened was... 
He had the start. They went into turn one. Max was uh, ahead going to turn one because you go start finish. It goes up a little bit. Then it, it turns to the left, goes down to the Senate S. So the, it's turning and then dropping away to the right when they go into turn two at the bottom of the Senate S. Then it starts to sweep around into Curva del Sol or Dosol, which is turn three. So Max was ahead going into turn one. Lewis was slightly ahead going into turn two. And that's where the drama uh, happened. That's where he had pieces of carbon flying or carbon fiber flying off and both of them on the radio and you know honestly was this going to end any other way i mean based on the history that these two guys have uh, to, to together but i'll you know I, i'm eager to hear how you saw it and then you know see how it lines up with the way that that i saw it so yeah and I, spot, I, spotlights on you now sir i'm equally as intrigued to hear about your interpretation of what happened i'll be very honest that when when the two cars came together the first thing the first sensation that i had was this sinking feeling that oh here we mm. Here we go again. And it was less about the rivalry between the two of them because clearly there is. And I think I think Max approaches racing, wheel-to-wheel racing with Lewis very differently than he does other drivers on the grid. That yeah. psychologically, there, there's something there when it comes to racing Lewis. But my reaction was, oh, I just hope this doesn't erupt into a mountain of negativity and hatred and anger on social media. And we have to kind of revisit that whole experience that hmm. we went through through yep. so much of life. Year, but but my reaction, quite frankly, was it was hard driving, and you know what, Lewis could have given a little bit, but Max carried an awful lot of speed into that corner, and to me, it was a racing incident. And I was a little yep. surprised that there was a penalty. Not so surprised that Max got a couple of penalty points because I think he could easily have avoided that moment that he could have simply backed off. But I think for me, the the frustration about the incident emerged later that in the moment in the in the in the context in an isolation of everything that was happening it was just a racing incident they were racing hard max could have stopped mm-hmm. lewis could have gone a little wider uh, but ultimately it was a racing incident but i think the comments that that max made post race and I, i've got them here are the ones that kind of bothered me bothered me the most and you know i'm going to quote here from the mirror i'm um, speaking after the race the defiant dutchman made it clear he did not regret attempting the move and i quote Quoting Max Verstappen here, to be honest, I went around the outside and I immediately felt he was not going to leave space, said Verstappen, adding, I just went for it. He didn't leave me space, so I knew we were going to get together. Cost him the race win. For me, it gave me five seconds. It wouldn't have mattered anything for my race because we were just way too slow, but it's just a shame. I thought we could race quite well together, but clearly to the intention was not there to race. And those comments, I think, are a little bit problematic to me because it acknowledges, mm-hmm. one, that the incident could have been avoided, but it also acknowledges the fact that Max was potentially willing to throw away his race because they didn't feel that he had the pace this weekend that he needed to be competitive with the Mercedes. So I find those comments right, pretty right. problematic. Like, just just the incident, it's racing incident, so boy, you want to give a penalty, you want to give some ra- penalty points, so be it, let's move on. But I think those comments from Max reveal that his intentions were never that this was so much about hard racing with the intent of finding a way past Lewis in that corner, but rather I'm going to chuck it into this corner knowing that we're going to come together and I don't care because we're not going to have a great weekend because we don't have the pace. And if it knocks Lewis out of this race, then so be it. Yeah, you know, the, I, I think that you saw it exactly the way that I, I saw it as well. I mean, it was hard racing. I definitely think that the reason why he got penalized and the points on top of it was even though that window, that uh, that time frame was very, very small, very, very short for him to react, the opportunity for him to lift slightly 
was there because going down the hill, Lewis was slightly ahead. And according to the new way that they they do these things, that gives Lewis the the, the right to have that corner. If you look at some of the, the, the camera angles that when you see the apex of the corner, I mean, Max is very much up on the inside on the curbs and Lewis is quite clearly on, you know, the the optimum line on on the track there. I mean, like yourself, I find the the, the comments from Max uh, a little bit uh, you know problematic uh, like yourself because it's, it's just like, you know, he was willing, you know, I mean, he he can throw the, the the race in the weekend away because at this point he has nothing to lose compared to to nineteen other drivers on the grid that are still racing for for something and some of them were still racing for for jobs at that point but um, you know I guess to a certain extent but yeah certainly very very interesting but I mean you know out of everybody out there you would think that Theo you know, Max might have like understood this because he's got a history at this corner now I mean going back to between himself and Esteban Ocon what was that in twenty eighteen yeah okay sure that was a little bit different I mean Esteban was trying to unlap himself and you know probably should have uh, you know approached that a little bit uh, different but uh, certainly uh, you would have thought that uh, you know now now this is two times that Max has had an incident of that uh, that that turn to it was almost identical right another quote from Max Verstappen here as well and I quote uh, I went around the outside at turn one and I just felt as, as soon as I was going to drive next to him he had no intention to leave me space said Mer- or mm-hmm. said Verstappen I said okay if you don't leave me space then we're just going to collide at the end of the day we were two slow anyway and for him it ruined his chance to win the race of course with a safety car he still had an opportunity i thought after last year we'd maybe forget about it we can finally race first of all when i went side by side i thought okay let's have a good race here you feel it with a driver if he's going to leave you space or not there was zero intention to leave me space i was 85 percent alongside and my intention is never to crash but i could feel he was never going to leave me the space into that corner and then yeah we collide he said yeah, but isn't like the the key in that is that I was eighty five percent alongside, but you know, you know, eighty five percent which way? You know, it's like is he in front or behind? I mean, he's clearly behind, right? I mean, just the way that they they look at these things now. I mean, that that was Lewis was the car in front, and you know, by definition, that he he you know he had the rights to the uh, to to that corner. So that's why you know the the opportunity, even though it was infinitesimally small, the opportunity for for Max to lift was there. That's ultimately what cost him. And I mean. Sure, I guess, you know, hindsight is uh, twenty twenty. You can go back and say that that ultimately cost Lewis the chance to, to win the race. Yeah, I, I guess ultimately it, it did because he was only, what, like second and a half or two seconds behind George by the time they got to the checkered flag. But I mean, that, you know, that's, you know... I can't help but think that's an easy comment to say in retrospect. I mean, you know, had the race played out a little bit different, I mean, who knows uh, what uh, could have happened uh, to, to Lewis Hamilton. The stewards um, report, just before we move on as well, yeah. and just wrap this one up real quick. Uh, according to the stewards report, and I'm reading here from autosport.com, and I quote, Verstappen attempted to pass Hamilton on the outside of turn one by breaking very late, read the stewards report. He did not complete yeah. the pass in turn one and his excess speed compromised his entry into turn two at which point he made contact with Hamilton. So very much what which you and I were talking about, that he was carrying yeah. excess speed. He could have, at his discretion, applied, lifted from the throttle or applied the brakes and could have avoided the entire situation. Again, it was hard racing, but he had the opportunity. He wasn't far enough alongside Hamilton. He had the opportunity mm-hmm. to back out of that moment, and he chose. He just made that conscious decision that he was going to accept the collision. 
Yeah, 100%, right? Okay, we're going to talk now about uh, what Max said at the end of that race, and this kind of really opened up a, a can of worms uh, this week. And, you know, it's interesting because, I mean, that, that uh, situation, the comments that he made uh, drew criticism enough, but the comments I'm talking about that should be a surprise for no one is the the, the comments and, you know, what Max uh, said about his teammate uh, Sergio Perez and the situation that unfolded at the end of that race. So we're going to break now. We're going to come back because I feel like this oh, is going to take the a big chunk tease. of the show. That's the ultimate tease. I know, I know, but we'll be back like really quick and we'll talk about that and more so don't go away we'll be right back when you need mealtime inspiration it's worth shopping kroger where you'll find over thirty thousand mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie and no matter what tasty choice you make you'll enjoy our everyday low prices plus extra ways to save like digital coupons worth over six hundred dollars each week you can also save up to one dollar off per gallon at the pump with fuel points more savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping kroger worth it every time kroger fresh for everyone fuel restrictions apply with threats to our nation waiting around every corner adaptability is more important than ever when conditions change without notice quick strategic thinking is crucial and with obstacles consistently impending determination is essential in overcoming them it's this willingness decisiveness and resilience that sets marines apart with our fighting spirit we don't just fight battles we win them marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown and through adaptable problem solving we do just that learn more at marines.com all right welcome back and i know i teased it but before the break but now it's time to t- you know turn to the juicy story of the week and of course uh, i wish i i'd uh, got the uh, the audio all keyed up uh, for it because i mean you really need to hear the tone of max verstappen's voice Anyways, uh, it really uh, came down at the end of the race. I mean, uh, they let uh, Max and Checo switch uh, uh, place on the track. And then uh, within the last couple of uh, laps, they they asked uh, Max to give it back uh, to Checo because, uh, you know, obviously, as we mentioned at the beginning of the race, he's now tied on points uh, with uh, Charles Leclerc. Charles is, uh, you know, second in the championship just by virtue of better results uh, this year. But they're still tied on points. So if he finishes, you know, so... So that's obviously going to change uh, come this uh, Sunday. Anyways, um, I, th- I think Max, he might have been three or four seconds ahead at that point. Anyways, uh, his engineer came over the radio and said, quote, Max, let Checo through, please. Max, what happened? And then Max said, it was the tone of voice that really shocked me because I, I felt like, you know, I use the same tone of voice when I'm scolding one of my children when they've been extremely naughty. Anyways, Max said, quote, I told you already last time. Are we clear about that? I gave my reasons and I stand by that. Hammy, when you heard that, what was your reaction? Because I was appalled. I was absolutely appalled by that statement and the and the way that he said it just absolutely shocked me. You know, it's, it's, it's interesting because... I've talked so much this year about Verstappen having evolved as a as a person and and as a driver and that maybe having won a world drivers championship last year and the decade and a half of stress and pressure that's been applied to him by Helmut Marko and Christian Horner and his father and and the pressure that he's put on himself that maybe that was lifted last year when he managed to secure mm-hmm. his first driver's championship. And I think coming into this year, he seemed to be different. He seemed to have evolved and he seemed to have acquired significantly mm-hmm. more maturity. And I would really liked what I'd seen 
um, from, from Max this year relative to what we'd seen in prior years. And unfortunately, I feel like this weekend was a regression for Max, partly because of the contact, the collision with Lewis, but also because of these comments. And I think it's important that we read out a statement that Red Bull issued today because I want to react to that a little bit. But Red Bull ultimately did issue a statement because the because the situation that you're talking about did blow up and it blew up on social media and it blew up in the media and it was being addressed on all the talk shows and all the podcasts. But Red Bull ultimately issued a statement this week that read as I follows. As a team, we made some mistakes in Brazil. We had not envisioned the situation that unfolded on the last lap, and we had not agreed a strategy for such a scenario before the race. Regretfully, Max was only informed at the final corner of the request to give up position without all the necessary information being relayed. This put Max, who has always been an open and fair team player, in a compromising situation with little time to react, which was not our intention. Following the race, Max spoke openly and honestly, allowing for both drivers to resolve any outstanding issues or concerns. The team accepts Max's reasoning. The conversation was a personal matter, which will remain private between the team and no further comment will be made. The events that followed from a social media point of view are completely unacceptable. And I won't read the rest of it, but goes on to speak to the amount of abuse and vitriol and venom that was spewed towards uh, the Red Bull team and family members of those that are in leading roles within the team. But I, I want to react mm-hmm. to this in a couple of senses because the first comment here and Andrew Benson called this out on the checkered flag podcast earlier today, but it says here, and I quote, regretfully, Max was only informed at the final corner of the request to give up position. That is false. He was informed at turn four. Go back and watch the race. He was informed at turn four of the need to give up that Mm -hmm. position. And then he was informed three more times before the final lap. So that is total BS. That is just a total inaccurate and a total lie and total misinformation from Red Bull and their fans and the media and all of us deserve better. So that's very problematic. The the second piece to this is the fact that they speak to the fact that the situation that potentially led to this moment is personal in nature. That's, I think, the root of what all of the media frenzy was about this week, which is... What specifically is it? What specifically is the issue, the moment that caused Max to refuse an order from the team to give the position back to his teammate? What happened? What is the issue? And they don't seem to want to address this, but Andrew Benson on the Checkered Flag podcast today spoke to something that I didn't want to bring up on the podcast because I couldn't substantiate it, that there was a lot of rumor, there was a lot of speculation, but it was very difficult to pin something down. But Andrew Benson on the BBC Checkered Flag podcast today spoke to this, that he has two or three sources within the F1 paddock that very definitively state that Max Verstappen's issue is that he believes definitively believes that at Monaco, his teammate Sergio Perez intentionally crashed in qualifying to secure a higher pole position than Max Verstappen. He honestly believes that. And then furthermore, Andrew Benson is arguing that there is reporting that there are people within the paddock that have informed him that Red Bull have in fact conducted an internal review of what happened at Monaco and concluded that Sergio Perez did in fact intentionally crash. So Max's frustration, his anger, his issue stems all the way back to Monaco. 
Now, further to this, this statement indicates that, you know, we've always been clear and transparent operators. We had a conversation post-race. Everything's resolved. Andrew Benson also interviewed Sergio this week and asked him very mm-hmm. definitively, did you address the issue in those conversations? Did you collectively, collaboratively as a team address the issue that led to this moment? And Sergio Perez said, we only discussed what happened in Brazil. So as a team, they've never discussed or have not yet discussed what it was that motivated Max to ignore team orders, which were relayed to him four or five times from turn four until the final corner. So for me, on the one hand, if in fact Sergio Perez potentially crashed in Monaco to secure a higher pole position than I could and go on to win that race, that's pretty revolting. And he should probably lose his ride in Formula One, although I don't know that any team would want to acknowledge that their driver had done that. So I kind of get it from Max's position. If that is not, in fact, what had happened, and if that is not, in fact, what had motivated him to disregard team orders in that specific moment, then it's a terrible, terrible move. And furthermore, even if your teammate had done that four, five, six months ago, why be so petty as a two-time world driver's champion to not give that place back? It means nothing to you in the championship, but it means everything to your team who is looking to secure a one-two finish for the first time since, I don't know, a decade ago. Very, very yep. bad. I think it's dented the reputation of Max. I think it's significantly dented the reputation of Red Bull. And for all of the Red Bull naysayers out there and those people that tend to be very critical of the organization, it's only fueled that. It's fueled speculation about what had happened in Monaco, which was already trickling a little bit out of the paddock. Um, it's reinforced the perception that a lot of people have of 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 Max himself. And then the inaccuracies Mm -hmm. and the misinformation in the statement only actually compounded the issue. So rather than putting a bow on the situation, all it does is further fuel what had actually happened there. And then the fact that the statement veers into, I'll be honest, like half of this statement is veering away from the issue at hand, which is Max disregarding the team's the team orders and going into a lengthy blame game of pointing the finger at social media for creating a negative atmosphere after the race. Well, the negative atmosphere was created because of the conduct of your drivers, not because of how people reacted to it on social media. Yeah, you know, it is interesting, too, because, uh, you know, in the Dutch media, there's a, a lot of these things uh, coming out. You're just uh, mentioning uh, Andrew Benson uh, saying, you know, talking about this, that he's got it on good authority with, uh, you know, some sources within the paddock. So uh, Eric van Haren, journalist for the Telegraaf in, uh, in Holland, um, he said in a tweet, it is correct, but Tom Cornell just said it via play. Perez deliberately crashed in qualifying in Monaco and later admitted it to Helmut Marco and Christian Horner. Max Verstappen has not forgotten that. So Tom Cornell, he's a, you know, rally driver. He's also an F1 analyst at uh, Via Play Sports in Holland. So that's a pretty explosive admission right there. And I can't believe that, you know, analysts of that stature in the in, in the Netherlands would be throwing things like that out there just to, for, for, for the sake of it. So, I mean, if uh, Perez admitted it to, to, to Marco on Horner, that's just, you know, that's, you know, insane and kind of makes you wonder what sort of internal comments uh, that or discussions that they've had internally. And then uh, Van Haren also uh, says in another Another tweet, and uh, he says, An analysis following the situation of Max Verstappen and Sergio Perez, the image of the world championship has certainly been dented, but he won't care. Internally, he has raised the issue several times, and Red Bull should have known so this. Daily, that, so, Daly, that is an interesting point. 
So that is actually ex- that's an explosive point. A hundred percent. So if in fact there is a belief and understanding, um, a knowledge of the fact that Sergio had intentionally crashed in Monaco, and Max had repeatedly tried to address that with the team, and had repeatedly been clear that I will not give up track position to my teammate in a future scenario, mm-hmm. then we shouldn't be surprised that he delivered on that promise. And all of a sudden, do you become a little bit more sympathetic to Max that, hey, my teammate intentionally crashed in qualifying to secure a higher pole position from me. I'm angry about that. I'm going to express that to my team, and I express how mm-hmm. I'm I'm going to conduct myself in this future scenario. And when that scenario happens, why should the team be then be surprised when he delivers in a, a performance exactly as he said? So yeah, it's, it's, it's really interesting. But, but we don't know, right? We and, don't. And, and we that's, don't. that's, that's we sort don't. of the, the, that, that's the whole point of the conversation. If, if Max Verstappen did as just the, the way that we saw, you know, for his own reasons and, you know, it, 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 shame on him, right? But if there's this backstory and he's raised this, uh, you know, that this point of contention with Red Bull for all this time, they did nothing about it. Shame on them. I mean, you know, potentially, I mean, is like Tom Coronel said that, you know, that he's, you know, Perez admitted he crashed on purpose to like, you know, helmet Marco and, and, and uh, Christian Horner that that's mind blowing so if if that's the case and they didn't do anything about it and Max was choked about it why did they let it fester for 6 well, months why did they do nothing about it so like you know, basically i mean you know i can i can side more with Max in in the the second situation rather than the first one but we ultimately we don't know at this point what, what's what's the truth what is the situation was it just max being a dick just for the sake of it or did you know was was it justified because in that second that latter sort of conversation i feel like you know he has the He's making a point because he felt he, he had aggrieved. no other way to he do it. He was aggrieved. Yeah. Daily, I totally agree yeah. with you that if you look at the moment in isolation of everything we've started to learn this week, and again, nothing's been confirmed, yeah. we'll probably never know. But if you look at that moment in isolation of everything else, yeah, Max was being a horrific teammate, given everything, yeah. Yeah. everything that Sergio Perez has done from him. Like just flashback to Abu Dhabi, Abu Dhabi last year, the sheer, the sheer effort that the minister of defense put up against Lewis to keep Lewis back. Like, you know, we, we talked earlier this week, I think you and I did, or we did on some of the spaces chats that if, if Sergio wasn't such a monumental defender on Hamilton and Abu Dhabi, Hamilton would have had enough time between him and Max Verstappen at the time of the safety car that he could have pitted and kept track position that in a lot of ways, given the circumstances of that race, Sergio Perez was a big contributing factor to Max being able to pit and win a world champion last championship last year. Well, yeah, and he wouldn't have done it that, right? that he's been a great champion or he's been a great support mechanism for him. So purely in isolation of everything else though, you know, Max was a terrible teammate, but then when you start to unpack this and you begin to wonder, Hey, what really, what, what is it that is, has aggrieved Max? Is it the fact that there is some confirmation within that organization or some acknowledgement that Sergio Perez intentionally crashed during qualifying? And of course the team can never, ever, 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 ever openly acknowledge that because if you do, you cannot retain him as a driver. You cannot retain somebody who is intentionally acknowledged that they intentionally crashed during a qualifying session. That's a huge compromise of the safety. It's a compromise of the integrity of the sport and the competitive spirit of the sport. And again, 
Conveniently, mm-hmm. a lot of drivers seem to have crashed in qualifying and managed to secure a pole position. Obviously, we've seen it with Nico and Charles Leclerc, et cetera, et cetera. The Nico one, especially in 2014, is highly, highly suspicious. Charles less so. <laughs> but yeah, the, this situation is really interesting. And the fact that Andrew Benson went on the podcast on BBC and say, I have two or three sources in the paddock telling me that this is what Max believes happened, that this is what we think happened. And other people on that podcast acknowledge as well that there's probably a lot to that, that there's something to that, that either it did happen and Max knows because Sergio acknowledged it, or that there hasn't been an acknowledgement and that Max believes it. But either way, Max, at least based on what we've heard this week, Max has addressed this with the team and been very clear that this would be his behavior in the event that he was given team orders to give a position. So all of a sudden, Mm -hmm. in that situation, like, yeah, I'm a little bit more sympathetic to Max because potentially his teammate crashed his car to keep pole position or to keep an improved pole position over his teammate. Yeah, yeah, you know, and 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 that's just the thing. I mean, I, I just think in general, like the whole situation is, is shocking. But where where do they go from here? I mean, they're already looking at uh, facing a big deficit for for twenty twenty three. I mean, just uh, by virtue of uh, being the, the the champions for this year means that they are going to have uh, less time for development and CFD and wind tunnel time and all that stuff because you know, the, you know there's this reverse order. The team that finishes worst they get the most uh, of that sort of testing and design allotment or not testing but that that design allotment compared to to the champions plus on top of it they got that uh, that that the, the fee or sorry the fee the fine uh because of the uh the 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 the, the cost cap uh, overspend breach but on top of that what really was uh you know <laughs> you know, really hit them hard was in addition to that seven million dollar fine or whatever it was was you know an added reduction in cfd and wind tunnel time for for, for next year so i mean they're already kind of behind the eight ball to begin with and as we were talking about earlier in the show we've seen mercedes especially improving over the last uh, you know number of races you got to think that ferrari's going to hit it hard next year as well so you know if if they're struggling a little bit with the car and they're fighting with each other in inside the garage and there's this divide that you know that sergio doesn't want to support his teammate and and max is you know upset and angry with the, with sergio i mean you know max for me he seems like a pretty cut and dry kind of guy, right? Yeah. I, I don't that think that I agree with that Max. That I agree with. Yeah, I, I don't think he would harbor some sort of baseless conspiracy theory. Like I, I think that if Max has an issue with Sergio Perez, I think that he must have like a really, really good reason for it. I mean, if the, if they're not going to divulge that publicly, that's fine. But you know, just you know, thinking about it logically, just you know, to to me that you know, Max you know, he, he feels justified and for, for what it is. And I don't think it would be some for like a perceived slight. So, you know, I, I would really, I'd really like to pull the curtain back and get some, some clarity on that. But, uh, you know, I, I know that this is not unusual to Formula One. We, we've seen inter-team conflicts before with Nico and Lewis and Lewis and, and Fernando and, you know, Senna and Prost. I mean, there, there's so many examples that you can, that you can, pick from but this one seems a little bit different i mean especially like the one with like say nico and, and lewis hamilton that was that was like a little bit of a slow burn it's so it sort of built uh, you know up slowly over time and but it was see like every time something happened it's sort of like 
like the animosity and the toxicity sort of doubled in magnitude every time something happened. But this is like like the first time <laughs> that these guys have had like an issue. And it's like they kind of went from, you know, I don't know whatever their baseline is, but it kind of like way they went from their baseline default setting to like thermonuclear. I'm just like, oh my God, that's why <laughs> that's why that um you know that that radio communication from Max was just like so shocking. It just wasn't what he, what he said, but it was like the tone of voice. I was just like, holy spokes. But it, it's interesting too, because if you see some of the uh, the comments from former Formula One driver, Timo Glock, who's now a uh, commentator and uh, pundit on Sky Sports uh, Deutschland, um, he said, uh, quote, of course, the action is not conducive uh, to next year and future Perez will consider whether he will still support uh, Verstappen. You have to remember what Sergio Perez did last year for Max in Abu Dhabi and here we are talking about fourth or fifth place a year ago Perez made Verstappen the world champion now he Verstappen uh, could have helped his team and his teammate that's why I don't understand why Max reacted like that I'd like to hear the reasons they must be very big if you don't change places internally end quote so there you go I mean you know there's other people I mean you know even Timo former Formula One drivers mystified as to what what's happening so it is interesting though Timo makes when when there's people like us and Timo speculating daily. Sorry, go no, ahead. I was just going to say Timo makes a great point, right? That for for Max to make because this was a very public statement that Max obviously knew yeah. that this was a, a race that's being broadcast to every corner of the globe. He had to know that the radio communications are available to everyone that subscribes to F1 TV Pro and that they would probably be picked up by the Sky oh, Sports yeah. broadcast or the global broadcast. Like He was making a statement. And to me, now the question is, was he making a statement towards Sergio Perez because he feels aggrieved by something that that Sergio had done earlier in the year, perhaps that Monaco incident? Is he making a statement towards the team because he feels aggrieved by something the team's done? Or is he making a statement towards both because he feels that he's highlighted something that Sergio has done that he doesn't feel was rectified or wasn't punished accordingly? Because you're right that going into this race, I think the general consensus among the Formula One community was like, yeah, this is a great partnership. Obviously, Daniel, Ricardo, and Max was never going to work out. Albon and Max wasn't going to work out. Gasly and Max mm-hmm. wasn't going to work out. But it felt like this was going to be a good fit. And of course, they've tied Sergio up for a couple more years. So this partnership isn't going to go anywhere anytime soon. But if in fact it is related to, to Sergio, again, reportedly, nobody knows for sure. Uh, but if it was in fact because because Sergio had reportedly crashed the car and now this is bubbling out to the surface, it puts Red Bull in a really problematic position because if that's something that was a conclusion of internal report that you're not going to share openly, so be it, you move on quietly. But it's possible as well that in this moment, Max may have blown open a secret that Red Bull would have wanted to bury as deep as possible under their Milton Keynes facility. Because if you have a driver that mm-hmm. intentionally crashed in a in a qualifying event to, to secure a higher pole position than his teammate, you cannot continue to employ that person. Like that is 
like we talk in the business world about career limiting moves like CLMs, like that is a pretty significant <laughs> career yeah, sure. limiting move. So I think Red Bull probably acknowledged that, hey, maybe this was real. We need to bury this. And maybe Max wasn't satisfied that that was the outcome of the of the investigation. But again, maybe we'll never mm-hmm. know. And hopefully we do. I just, I thought it was interesting that Andrew Benson, who gets a lot of criticism within the Formula One world, and I think in part because he's one of the few media members that tends to openly criticize the team and the FIA and, and the drivers, <laughs> but the fact that- he, So in other words, he's doing yeah, his he's job. He's doing his job. And- the fact that he was yeah. willing to talk about this and that other people on the panel were agreeing with him tells me that there might be there might be fire where there's smoke. And if there is, this is hugely problematic for yeah. Red Bull and this issue is not going away anytime soon. Well, you know, maybe that's why they, uh, you know, <laughs> they kind of like, um, they don't want to discuss it and they kind of like really... Um issue that's that that statement that kind of obfuscated the the whole issue well exactly and furthermore Anyways, let's take that a quick statement and again i encourage people to read yep. it because the statement acknowledges off the top that we as a team made some mistakes they're clearly trying to detract and draw attention away from or Vax or max verstappen but then they try to draw attention away from the incident entirely by focusing on the negativity that erupted on social media afterwards so Again, their PR mm-hmm. team's in full spin mode here, but break time. We'll go to a break. Yeah, let's take a break time because we still want to talk about this. We still got to preview the Grand Prix, so we'll do that in just a moment. Come back, got a couple of interesting comments uh, from a couple of people that uh, wrote into us. We'll read those after the break, so we'll be back in just a moment. Time to refresh those beverages, stretch your legs, so do that. We'll be uh, back on the flip side, so don't go away. Okay, welcome back. We are talking about non-switchgate. What, what do we want to call this? We got to come up. I mean, multi twenty-one. Everybody quality remembers gates? what quality. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't, don't know. know. Let's go with quality gate. We we'll, co- we'll trademark that one. Quality gate. <laughs> there you go. And then somebody will come up with something much more cleverer, yeah. <laughs> much more smarterer. <laughs> Anyways, a couple of uh, emails. And we got it from a pair of BJs. I don't know like what, what it is. You know, it's like uh, both BJs wrote it at the same time. And it's interesting. They got the same initials, but completely differing points of view. First one's from uh, our good friend BJ Crabtree. And uh, BJ number one says, okay, you guys, I don't know F1 like most, but I've watched sports heavily my entire life. There are a few guys out there that are true dogs. Jordan and Kobe weren't always nice to their teammates. These two were just wired differently, and that worked for them. Magic, Magic Johnson, that is, wasn't a jerk to his teammates and always looked to inspire. Lewis Hamilton is a good teammate, more later in his career, and that fits his personality. Max is a dog and really elite at his craft. To ask him to be this nice guy teammate is asking him to be something he's not. I don't have a problem with this. Checo knew what he was getting into with Max. My guess is why Danny Ricardo left. Derek Jeter versus Ricky Henderson, etc. Both elites, both go about their success differently. Elite athletes who are winners have to play to their strength. I don't feel the overreaction most are having to this story. I hope you guys are well. Keep crushing your pod game. Take care, BJ. Okay, so that's BJ Crabtree's take on it. So BJ number two, BJ Miller. He writes, I'm sorry, but I'm not at all surprised by Max's awful look. I'm not helping Checo. And it's 100, or sorry, 1000% on Horner and RBR for enabling this time of team environment where it's Max above all. He's above the team because Horner won't ever criticize or even seem less than 100% behind Max, no matter what he says or does. He's enabled it, or enabled this. That said, Max is a complete bleep <laughs> uh, to treat his teammate like that, especially when Checo has done so much. 
Okay, that's that's the end of it. So, you know, again, I, I completely agree with like both points of view only because, you know, like go back to what we were talking about before the break is we, we don't really understand or like we really don't know where the where, where the truth lies. Like wh- what is Max's reasoning behind it? And I can understand both, uh, you know, Crabtree's point of view and Miller's point of view here because, you know, again, you know, it's. I guess it's how you perceive it. I mean, I totally understand. Like the 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 Max is a bleep to his teammate that 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 BJ number two said, but you know, again, like like uh, BJ Crabtree was saying in his message that you know, like Kobe and uh, who was he? Is uh, oh Kobe and Jordan were kind of like wired that way. I mean, sometimes these you know these athletes at the top they are uber selfish right and i've heard a lot of stories about like how max was like that especially like in his carding days just you know completely focused on him everything was focused just on 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 him then you know just just think about yourself don't worry about anyone else you know don't care about anyone else this is all about you kind of thing right so you know it's you know so he's got that kind of like really bred into him i think just like the 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 way that uh, that crabtree said in his message but again you know it it (laughs) I, I don't really know where to land on it because I find myself wavering but we, back and Mark, forth. We need and more information. That's that's the problem. Yeah, hundred percent. So well, I, I, I agree 100%. with both of of these listeners. So BJ Crabtree, thank you so much, my friend. I wish you and your your high school football team nothing but the best this year. BJ Miller, thank you so much for for reaching out. Word. I I agree with both of them, but I think ultimately we need more information. And like I said, in isolation of everything else, Max was being a horrible teammate and it would have cost him absolutely nothing to have given that position back. It wasn't going to help his championship. It was already decided. Mm -hmm. But if there is truth to this whole Qualigate situation and he was trying to make a statement against his team, well, we've seen big time pro athletes make stands and, and make statements against their teammates, either on the court or off the court. And I think in this case, if that's true, he was trying to expose his team. I warned you, I warned you, I warned you. And you didn't deliver on what I'd asked you to do. I am a world champion. I am a absolute expert at my craft. This was going to happen. Um, But you know, in BJ Miller's case, if there's no truth, the quality gate or some personal beef, then 100%. He looks terrible. The sport looks terrible and Red Bull looks terrible. But Mm -hmm. to BJ's point that if there is something to quality gate and, and there is a legitimate beef there that was never addressed by the team and the team had the opportunity to address it, kind of don't blame him for making a statement and exposing the team and his teammate. Well, yeah, I mean, especially like Tom Coronel was saying on Via Play in, in the Netherlands is that if uh, if Horner and, uh, and um, uh, what's his name? <laughs> um, I'm just trying to blank here all of a sudden. But I mean, if like the bigwigs at Red Bull knew about that, you know, like that is, you know, very, very problematic, right? It's, it's just like, you can see then why, because, you know, like Max, like we say, he's kind of a cut and dry black and white you know, kind kind of person, and then obviously, if there is like you know truth to this, you know this uh, rumor that that uh, Perez crashed on purpose at Monaco, then Max's sense of like sportsmanship and and fair play has been been upset. And if the team hasn't addressed that and done anything about it, then I think that uh, perhaps you know like like where does that go with like uh, with Horner if he knew anything thing about that, or like you say, did they try to keep this allegedly you know, under wraps? I mean, we don't want to make uh, accusations here, just to sort of speculating but w- when you hear established people like Andrew Benson and Tom Coronel and whoever Eric Van Haren these different you know very prominent motorsport uh, journalists 
you know, dropping these things into podcasts, into stories, into social media posts and stuff like that. I mean, that, that story's out there. I mean, you just kind of like run and hide and, you know, especially at this situation, I mean, obviously there's something to play for, for, for Sergio Perez and Red Bull too. So they, they basically, you know, sweep the whole season, you know, you know, driver's championship, constructor's championship, one, two, and the driver's uh, championship as well. I mean, so, I mean, that is a very, very big statement that, that, that Max Verstappen made, Absolutely. right? So, you know, yeah, yeah. Uh, yes, Marco, I don't know why I was uh, drawing a blank on Helmut Marco's name there, but uh, again, you know, it's Thursday night. Daily, can, <laughs> can we to, transition uh, to crypto? Yeah, can, Just while I'm fired up, can we transition to oh, crypto? Yeah, is that right. cool? Yeah, because you know, certainly. Can I can I just say Please. right off? I mean, you know, obviously, because we're we're old men now, we're old enough to remember the dot com boom and, <laughs> boom Very and well. bust. Are we seeing like the the crypto boom and bust is here now? Because it it seemed like it was a big thing, but this whole FTX thing that's been going down the last number of weeks is just uh, that's a bit of a <laughs> mind blower as well, I right? I couldn't be happier in a lot of ways, and obviously, I I have deep sympathies for the millions of people that have lost some or all of their savings. Oh, but yeah. I, I, yeah. I was always deeply apprehensive of the amount of crypto money that was pouring into the sports. And I found it very problematic that tobacco money was horrible for was horrible for the global community because it gave tobacco companies in Formula One a really significant and and very meaningful platform to advertise their wares. And when you look back at it, maybe F1 wouldn't have been F1. It certainly would have been F1 at the level it was without tobacco money. But at the same time, they were they were they were just I shouldn't say justifying, but they were validating the sale of tobacco products. And obviously, I don't use tobacco products. You don't use tobacco products. But it was merely 20 years ago where every Formula One car had a tobacco sponsorship on the cars. And Oh, they were dripping yeah, and in it. Teams were taking monies from these tobacco companies, knowing that the products that they sold onto their consumers were literally killing them. So I'm not going to pretend that crypto mm-hmm. is destructive to your personal health and your personal well-being, but it is very problematic from a financial markets perspective. And you know what? I, I'm mm-hmm. deeply invested in reading and understanding and studying financial markets. And to me, crypto has been nothing more than a, sh- a scam. It's been it's been a bunch of shell companies promising things that they could never deliver. And, you know, Road and Track the other day published a really great story. Uh, Fred Smith writes, Formula One's crypto sponsors ships are crashing. And he, and he writes, over the past few years, cryptocurrency sponsorship has poured into Formula One at an astonishing rate. Nine of 10 teams have some sort of crypto deal with preseason and holdout. Haas finally joining that list with an NFT agreement just last week. The deals have taken many forums from simple sponsorship deals with cryptocurrency exchanges to complicated types that actually create currency somehow tied to the idea of being a fan of Alfa Romeo F1. There are so many crypto deals out there that it can be tough to keep up, which is good because if you kept up with all of them and invested your money in each F1 cryptocurrency individually, the day the the deals were announced, you would have lost most of that money by now. And the story Mm -hmm. is, and I'm reading here from ESPN, the Mercedes Formula One team said on Friday they had suspended a partnership agreement with troubled cryptocurrency exchange FTX ahead of the season's penultimate race in Brazil. FTX, one of the world's largest crypto exchanges, is scrambling to raise billions in funds to stave off collapse while regulators have stepped in. Mercedes had signed a sponsorship deal with FTX just this past September 2021 when they were the reigning champions. As a first step, says Mercedes, we have suspended our partnership agreement 
with FTX. And a story from routers, which I thought was absolutely thrilling. Like if you're big into understanding how some of these companies can rise to prominence with very little corporate governance, there's this really great story from routers. And it reads, the new CEO of the Klepts cryptocurrency trading firm FTX, who oversaw Enron's bankruptcy, said he has never seen such a complete failure of corporate control. And he writes, never in my career have I seen such a complete failure of corporate controls and such a complete absence of trustworthy financial information as occurred here. From compromised systems integrity and faulty regulatory oversight abroad to the concentration of control in the hands of a very small group of inexperienced, unsophisticated, and potentially compromised individuals, the situation is un precedented so a cryptocurrency and, and this comes from the guy that was like oversaw the bankruptcy of that dung heap enron. that was enron Absolutely that is incredible. amazing and my point here being yeah. wow. that these formula one teams couldn't line up behind these cryptocurrency exchanges fast enough to accept their money and again mercedes yeah. again yeah. most importantly here are that thousands hundreds of thousands millions of small-time investors have lost billions of dollars by investing in these shrill, shill, shell companies, billions of dollars. But Mercedes, as a major global force in motorsports, didn't do its own mm -hmm. due diligence when sticking the the advertisement of this brand on their side of the car is, is pretty appalling. And obviously, we all joke about rich energy and Haas, rich energy and Haas. But what due diligence did any of these <laughs> F1 teams do? And my understanding is that in a lot of cases, they're willing to take on questionable partners if these questionable partners are able to provide an upfront lump sum payment. So like, hey, if the deal is it's 10 mm -hmm. years, $10 million a year to stick your stickers on the side of our car, you know, we may not know you and you may not have been in the business a while, but if you're willing to give us $50 million as a lump sum up front, we're going to take that risk. But it's pretty appalling that a company that was as fractionally and structurally compromised as this one was able to get their brand, their mm -hmm. stickers on a Mercedes Formula One car. And it should also significantly worry every other F1 team, which is all of them, by the way, who are also bearing the, the decals of cryptocurrency exchanges and crypto companies. It should worry all of them that they're going to be in the exact same situation. So this is a bad look for F1. It's a really bad look for Mercedes. Um, and it's also a horrible experience for all of the people that may have been led to invest in FTX because, because when you put their logos on your car, you are you are, I'm trying to think of the right word, you are vouching for them. That if you are Mercedes, mm -hmm. a premium motorsports competitor, and you stick an FTX logo on your car, you're vouching for the authenticity of that organization. And all these people who invested have lost yeah. all of that money, all of it. Yeah, you know, as amazing as like they are as uh, you know, building and designing cars, and they have amazing people doing that. I mean, there is a bit of a problem when it comes to some of the sponsorship because remember last year they also uh, wrangled that uh, sponsorship deal with that parent company from that Grenfell oh, Tower disaster call. in the UK. So, I mean, they they backpedaled away from that pretty quick because, I mean, there was a lot of people that were rightfully very very upset about that, and you know, it just you. You just would have thought that they would have learned a lesson from from that. Maybe they thought that the, the the whole crypto thing was a lower risk, but you know, like I, I was only half joking about the whole dot com like uh, implosion from about twenty years ago. I think but, that's a great I mean, analogy. 
you know, there, there's a lot of there's a lot of parallels with Absolutely. there, right? Because I mean, th- th- that literally, there's a lot of people made a lot of money overnight, and then they evaporated so very very quickly. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's uh, move on. I'm getting the thumbs up from Hammy here in the uh, the studio. That's 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 the the signal right there. Move on to the next <laughs> one. So let's talk again about some actual F1 news. So Haas uh, announcing that MSC is done at the end of the season, and that Nico Hulkenberg will be returning to Formula One in full time capacity to partner Kevin Magnussen uh, next year. So uh, uh, Mick Schumacher uh, announcing uh, saying, "quote This is going to be my last race with the Haas F1 team. I don't want to hide the fact that I'm very disappointed about the decision not to renew." our contract. Nevertheless, I would like to thank both Haas F1 and Ferrari for giving me this opportunity. Those years together have helped me to mature both technically and personally, and especially when things got difficult, I realized how much I loved this sport. It was at times bumpy, but I or bumpy, but I steadily moved, uh, improved, learned a lot, and now know for sure that I deserve a place in Formula One. The subject is anything foreclosed for me. Setbacks only make you stronger. My fire burns for Formula One, and I will fight hard to return to the starting grid. So there you go. You know, interesting, right? I mean, I, I don't think it's any real surprise that they've decided to move away from 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 Mick Schumacher. You give Mick Schumacher a pass in twenty twenty one team was a bit of a mess the car was in a mess he had a bad teammate you know it just wasn't a good situation but you know of course their their whole hand to sort of move away from Nikita Mazepin and his uh, dad's money and all that uh, was was really forced uh, unfortunately I think by the whole Russian invasion of the Ukraine and and so many you know peoples and the powers of be to distance themselves from anything Russian related especially when it came to, to big money deals like that so anyways they, they part way with Mazepin like literally days before the Grand Prix they put uh, K Mag back in the car. I mean, he'd been with the team as recently as 2020, so it it, it was a good fit, and and arguably, it's it's worked out pretty good for both Kevin Magnuson and for Haas. Obviously, K Mag got pole last week uh, for for the sprint race, and then was quickly gobbled up, and then was punted off the track by Danny Ricardo a half a lap into it. But now you go from it's it's interesting, right? Because you go from two years ago it was an extremely inexperienced duo in the cars, and now you're going to have a very very experienced pairing of drivers. And the, see, the thing is that 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 um, Schumacher couldn't uh, complain about, or maybe use as a crutch this year was the car was much improved and it's kind of uh, kind of ebbed and flowed over the course of the season i mean they they but i mean magnuson kind of showed right from the beginning what you know that this car is maybe capable of uh you know in 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 the right hands and it sounds like you know that that the, the opportunities for for schumacher to turn it around and really make a more solid uh, stake or claim to that seat for for 23 were there you know if you'd only converted some more of those results into points but uh, that that just uh, didn't happen so I, I feel like in a way that this is news that isn't news because it, it's kind of been floating around as you said a little while ago in relation to one of the stories mark is that where, where there's smoke there's fire and i just felt like there was a lot of smoke here for a while and i don't real really think that uh, the uh, the announcement of Nico Hulkenberg to replace uh, Mick Schumacher is a big big surprise but still I'd like to hear your your thoughts about it yeah I'll, I won't belabor the point I think there's a couple of things to talk about here the first is that this may be the last of Mick Schumacher in Formula One so if you are a, a German a motorsports fan or a, a Mick Schumacher fan and he's a great kid super likable personality but this could very well be his last his last shot his last uh his last 
dance in in Formula One, which is really unfortunate. And like you said, and we've said this so many times before, last year shouldn't count. Uh, that was a horrible car, a horrible, problematic, toxic environment. The car was three years old. Um, it was a mess. They invested nothing in it, and they were building everything towards this year. So this year, in a lot of ways, was a fresh start for Mick. And, and I think, one, he was paired with a better car, uh, a much more modern car with a better aero package, um, um, improved cooling, improved braking, everything about this car was better than what he had the prior year. But I think the most important change for Mick Schumacher this year was the fact that he was being paired with a veteran driver because last year he was paired with not even arguably, just statistically, technically, he was paired with the worst driver on the track. So there was absolutely no data. There's no telemetry coming out of his teammate's car that would be useful in helping develop his craft. This was the first year he was paired mm-hmm. with an established veteran whose data was actually helpful in helping to tune his craft. Um, unfortunately, I think his performances this year just haven't been sufficient. Now, I think the problem, I think the challenge for Alfa Romeo is I think there was a lot more parity at the beginning of the season between the teams generally when you talk about the 10 teams and I think that's why they had some mm-hmm, surprise mm-hmm. finishes of course that Magnuson P5 and the P9 um, in Bahrain and Saudi respectively and of course another P9 in Imola um, I think were, were really favorable results to them and I think we got really excited but let's be honest since Austria this team combined has one points finish that I think the field is getting away from them and even though there's a cost cap this isn't a team that's spending to the cap and I think the rest of the field is starting to separate from them. So this is a team that may, needs to make some really significant um, distance up between them and their competitors in the offseason. I'm not convinced or confident they can do it. In terms of the Nico Hulkenberg thing, on the one hand, I'm really frustrated that they're bringing Nico back. He's a he's a good guy and a very capable driver. He's has 181 starts in Formula One under his belt, going back to his rookie season with AT&T Williams way back in 2010. Notably, he's never scored a podium. <laughs> um, and I think that would be a great story yep. that he gets another shot. Because of course, he sat in for a couple races for Racing Point in 2020. And he sat in for, for Aston Martin right. for a couple of races at the beginning of this year when Seb had had COVID, but I think that would be a really interesting story to watch next year, but I don't think he's going to have the car. And I think my frustration is why are we going back to Nico that this is a guy who's in his mid thirties, right? Like he is on the wrong side of 30 that there's so much talent. And again, Haas as a American owned team, why not make that effort to try and source an American driver? And of course, we're going to have an American driver next year in Formula One. He's going to be um, Logan Sargent with the Williams team. But if I'm Haas, why not make that effort? Uh, ultimately, I think they're going to have two reliable drivers that aren't going to necessarily be binning their cars. Um, but I don't think this necessarily makes them much more competitive because I'm not confident they're going to have a much more competitive car. But it's certainly going to cost them a lot less to have Nico in the car than it would Mick. In terms of Mick's future, I'm not sure. I don't know that there is necessarily going to be one. And it brings a quick close to what at one point seemed like a fairly promising career and very much a Cinderella type storybook that the son of the great seven times world champion, Michael Schumacher was at F1 and he was going to chase race glory and potentially one day race for Ferrari. Well, I don't think any of that's going to happen now, Mm -hmm. unfortunately. 
No, no, sadly not. But uh, I just couldn't help uh, but think of one thing we were just uh, talking about having like two established uh, F1 vets in those Haas cars uh, for, for next year. And then you said, well, there, there's going to be less of a risk of either of them bidding those cars and putting it into the tire barriers. So maybe they're like, like you say, they're going for experience and stability because, you know, they've got some more sponsors. So maybe they just want to get more track time and cameras onto the car to keep the sponsors happy. You know, that's maybe me being a little bit conspiratorial and a little bit uh, sort of cynical. But, you know, we've seen weirder things happen in in, in Formula One. But, uh, you know, just uh, kind of sticky with the, the Ferrari theme. So uh, Ferrari has issued a statement uh, downplaying or outright dismissing some rumors out there that uh, Chairman John Elkin is going to replace Matteo Bonato as, uh, as a Ferrari team principal uh, as of January 1st with uh, Sauber slash Alfa Romeo slash Audi team principal Frederick Vasseur. They said it's uh, totally without uh, foundation. And I was kind of thinking, sure, I guess that, that would, that's kind of a juicy, kind of interesting rumor. But if you're Fred Vasseur, would you really want to do that? I mean, obviously, there, there's, a, there's a pairing between the team now. I mean, they've had uh, Ferrari engines in those Sauber slash Alfa Romeos for a very, very long time. But this is Audi's technical partner to for, for 2026. I mean, Ferrari, of course, is is Ferrari. And it's, it's a historic team. It's the number one team in the world everybody knows ferrari everybody loves ferrari they're famous and I, i'm sure that uh, you know that's that that the the attraction is uh, you know there for for people that you know drivers uh, you know engineers designers you know administrators and, and stuff like that but you know i guess it really would you know if if there was any substance to this story i think it would really be interesting to see where where uh, vasuer's you know preferences lie would you want to go to like the dream posting to be the team principal at ferrari or do you want to get in uh, at the ground level with that uh, that audi f1 project i mean for sure there's going to be ups and downs when you boot up a you know a formula 1 team like that but that you know i i'm i'm excited when i think about the future of uh, sauber and audi and and 2026 and watching that 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 uh, mature and, and materialize and all, all the bumps and ups and downs that they're going to experience over the years. Such, I, I, you know that that to me is you exciting. You make such a great time. point about the Audi piece, and that didn't occur to me when I was reading the story because my thought was going and leading Ferrari is very much a once in a lifetime opportunity to drive there oh, to 100%. be a part yeah. of that team yeah. from a, a technical perspective, a design perspective, a team principal perspective, that that's a once in a lifetime opportunity. But with it comes immense crushing pressure that this is a team that hasn't won any championship since 2007. But you look at the lineup, very talented lineup. You've got Charles Leclerc, the car is clearly capable with a little bit of additional refinement and development that this could be a, a team that contends for championships. So you're close, right? You're close. Um, you don't mm -hmm. have a, you don't necessarily have a five-year project in front of you, but at the same time, um, the Audi thing is awfully, awfully enticing, but we also don't know that he's in Audi's designs right? either, right? Like Audi might have completely different designs on what the leadership structure of this team is going to look like. And again, we still have three more full campaigns through which that team's going to be rocking a Ferrari power unit. So they'll be kind of working on a couple of parallel projects, which will be one, on the one hand in Germany, they're going to be working on the Audi power unit. They're going to start designing and developing the 2026 car. But in the meantime, they still have to run a car in 23, 24, 25 that's going to be powered by a Ferrari power unit in the back like that's that's a complex challenge um but again 
it's really up to Audi, right? Like we don't know what Audi wants out of that team. And as the years progress, they're going to uh, attain more and more control over operations and and personnel. So we'll see. But I think if the Ferrari Mm -hmm. opportunity presented itself, I don't know how anybody can turn that down. Oh, exactly. I mean, you know, if you're, you're Frederick Vassour, it's just like, how, how do you pick? I mean, those are both like two amazing, amazing, like you say, once-in-a-lifetime uh, opportunities. I mean, it's a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, I would think, just to get to Formula One in the first place. But to be the head of either one of those uh, teams would be absolutely amazing. But now, th- this is equally as uh, as amazing, if true. And according to L'Equipe, which is a, a sports media outlet in France and a very, very big one, that apparently Charles Leclerc and Mattia Bonato haven't been on speaking terms with each other since Silverstone of this year. And uh, this is, um, you know, uh, apparently because uh, uh, Charles, who lost the race uh, because, of, you know, as we said earlier, strategic blunder, was uh, reprimanded by Bonato in front of the cameras when he got out of the car. Now... <laughs> Wow, that that's that is you know incredible if true that you have your 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 number one driver, you know I, I guess we've already had that discussion earlier in the show not talking to the team principal. I, you know I'd like to know you know whether or not there, there's any substance to that, but I mean Silverstone was a long time ago now. That was back in July, so what four months ago, four and a half months ago now. I mean I, I don't know how they could function as a team. It's just like, is Mattia like folding up notes and giving it to somebody else? Hey, hey Carlos, pass this note to, to uh, Charles and just wait till he writes something back and bring it to me. It's just, or are they sort of like referring to each other like in, you know, the, you know, sort of like these, uh, it's like a really awkward conversation. Mattia walks into the room and just sort of like indirectly talks to Charles. Like, you know, if I was to say to Charles that I would really like him to push in the race this afternoon, that would be a good thing. You know, something, you know, I'm just being stupid now, but, you know, silly rumors, I guess, deserve silly answers. But, Heavy, we're at that point now, and I guess we've delayed enough after 90 minutes, but we should look ahead to the uh, the, the race this weekend. Abu Dhabi, final race of the year, and, you know, as you know, we said, it's been... I wouldn't say an anticlimactic season, but certainly it hasn't lived up to, to the uh, expectations. But yes, I don't know. I like Yas Marina, the circuit there. Uh, we've had uh, 13 previous races here going back to 2009. Lewis has won here five times. Mercedes has uh, won there six times in total. This is a 5.28 kilometer or 3.28 mile track. Total race length is 306.18 kilometers or 190 and a quarter miles, 58 laps. Last year, we had Max Verstappen on pole. And of course, we have to bring this up. I'm sorry for all of you that uh, you know that don't like being reminded of this. We had Max Verstappen winning, Lewis Hamilton a second, two and a quarter seconds behind, Carlos Sainz a third. Uh, Max Verstappen set the fastest lap of a 126.103. The one thing that we know this, uh, well, of course, that was also the final race in charge for Michael Massey. For all we all know now is doing something. We don't even know what he's doing now since he's been was first effectively kind of like gagged and then relieved of all his duties. So who knows? But um, anyways, uh, Hammy, uh, last year, uh, notwithstanding, we did see, or the result notwithstanding, we saw the uh, reprofiled track, which we saw the uh, the, the banking at, uh, at turn six, because um, it, it's a very interesting track, right? Because you have some very sharp and angular turns in excess of uh, 90 degrees in some cases, but then you have the 90 degree corner going into turn one. Then you have the very fast flowing sections from sections, uh, corners two to four. Then you go to the hairpin at turn five. The uber long straight down into turn 
turn six, which is another sharp turn, a left and then a right. Then you go into long curving section, a turn eight into nine, and then a series of short snappy corners, turns 10 to 16 when you come back into start finish. Now, Hammy, you've been to Yas Marina, you've been to Abu Dhabi. Tell us a little bit more about the track and what it's like to see these cars go around the uh, the. Yeah, the one of the things there. that makes this an interesting interesting experience is the race starts at dusk. So there's still daylight out when the race begins. And as the race progresses, the sun sets and it becomes a night race, which is which is pretty cool. The racetrack itself is built, it was constructed on what is largely reclaimed land. So it's called Yas Island, which is a chunk of land adjacent to Abu Dhabi, which is the capital of the United Arab Emirates, which of course is a country that houses two major cities, Dubai and Abu Dhabi. Dubai is about an hour north by car. Um, Yas Marina or Yas Island features a super mall, Ferrari World, Sea World, Warner Brothers theme park, golf courses, hotels, entertainment. Uh, but principle or center to all of that is the Formula One Grand Prix circuit that you just described. Um, to me, it's always been a good but not great circuit in terms of designs for racing. But I think the changes that they made last year, and I give the race organizers and the track owners huge amounts of credit because those small changes that they did last year to smooth out those turn, those hairpins and to put in some slight banking towards the back of the track made a monumental difference in the raceability and the enjoyment factor of this circuit. In terms of experience, it's a lot different than many circuits that you might go to that I've always said that a traditional Formula One circuit, whether it's a Coda in Austin, or if it's a Silverstone, or it's Canada, you walk up to the gates, they let you in, you go in carrying your camping tray, a cooler full of drinks, and you can walk and circle the entire track. You can check out all of the general admission areas. You can climb into the bleachers. You can just be amongst Formula One fans. And it's very much a carnival or festival type atmosphere. Yas Marita to me is much more like entering a stadium. So each section of the track is compartmentalized mm. from the other. So if you're sitting in the main grandstand section, you are in the main grandstand section. You have your own gates and you have your own entertainment and your own food options, um, which is nice. And then the grandstands themselves are very clean, very, very polished. It's a very... I guess the best way to put it is it's as close to a luxurious Formula One experience as possibly before the last couple of years now that we're adding Vegas and Miami and things to that. It was possibly the most luxurious experience um, on the calendar. Um, so it's very, very cool. Definitely a different experience than, than some of the other Grand Prix on the calendar. Um, the race typically takes place in obviously in November. Last year was December because of the COVID COVID yeah, impacted calendar. So by the time you get to November, humidity is much lower, especially in the evening, but it's still very, very, very warm. You certainly couldn't run this race in the summer simply because humidity would be significantly, significantly too high. But in November, the the weather is beautiful. The conditions are are beautiful. And to me, it's the perfect way to wrap up the calendar. So to me, I love this track track. I always argued that it wasn't perfect. 
perfect, but I think the changes that they made last year, specifically by smoothing out, reprofiling, and adding that banking at turn nine and eliminating that hairpin at the new turn five were significantly significant improvements um, to, to the raceability. But I have really good memories at this track. I've been many times. I've really, really, really enjoyed it. I'm very much excited about getting back there at some point in the future. Um, if you do have the opportunity to uh, visit Abu Dhabi weekly, you can actually access the track. So they open it up to the public for running, for biking. And then during the day, um, there's all kinds of motorsport events. So you can do classes, you can take out cars, you can rent cars, you can experience this track in ways that you might not be able to access a lot of other Formula One uh, circuits on the calendar. So if you have the opportunity, you're in the UAE or in the Gulf region, it's definitely worth checking out. Yeah. And, you know, I'd like um, I mentioned, uh, you, know, you know, a couple of months ago when I was in Montreal this past summer, they have that track open. You can jog around, you That's can ride awesome. your bike around, you can rollerblade around it. And half of the track is reserved for cars. You can only drive around it about like 30 miles an hour or there kilometers an hour, which is what, 20 miles an hour or something like that. But it's kind of cool. Even at that lower speed, you really get like an appreciation for, for the track. And, you know, you can get to, you know, we get to put the tires up on the curbs and it's it, it's really kind of cool you get a different perspective uh, when you actually can get some rubber on the uh, on on the blacktop and go around like that so that that's very very cool mark so let's just uh talk about a couple other things here we did have the um you know because we were prepared this week and we didn't have a uh <laughs> get the week wrong and preview the uh the, the grand prix a week early like we did so um we do know that the, this week, the final tire selection will be the softest in the Pirelli range, C3 hard, C4 mediums, and the C5 softs. So, Mark, you know, obviously there are a couple of things to, to play for, uh, you know, the driver's uh, championship between or second place between Charles the. Um, Le- I was going to say Lafitte, Charles Leclerc. Well, you were going to say Charles Lafitte. Lafitte? Lafitte from you can earlier. tell we're two hours into this podcast. No, I was going to say no. I was going to say Lef- You know, I I just uh, flipped through. I saw that note there. They were talking about like the the drivers that uh, you know the the fifty one hundred right, right. races or etc. And I saw Jacques Lafitte, and I was thinking Jacques Lafitte and Charles Leclerc. I'm just getting you know French sounding names all mixed up. So, anyways, you know, back uh, to the, the the topic we've had. The any, the one thing that's really interesting to watch this weekend is what's going to happen between Charles Leclerc and uh, Sergio Perez and the drivers' champ. Championship, and then between Ferrari and and uh, and uh, and uh, Mercedes in the constructors, because there is uh, you know less than twenty points uh, separating them in the drivers, or sorry, the constructors' championship, and that is very closable, especially for a team uh, like uh, Mercedes. I mean, you know, apart from anything else, they they have been fairly reliable this year compared to Ferrari. So, you know, I know it's it's not the big, glamorous, glossy, shiny, exciting you know drivers or uh, constructors' championship that's uh, up for grabs, but at least they're there's something and of course all the drama between max and sergio adds a a little bit of a uh, added element to it and the fact that we were talking about earlier that this is um, uh, lewis's last chance to win a race uh, this season for the first time in many many years so that's uh, another storyline and of course some of the fun at the end because this will be the last time that these cars are ever on the track in a competitive uh, format so at the end of the race we all see the donuts and and, the, and that sort of stuff which we don't typically see earlier in the year because the drivers are obviously not trying to stress the equipment and damage the car that they're going to need next week or the week after or for four or five months uh, before the end of the season so 
very cool. You know, I, I don't really know if there's any point making a prediction and who's going to to win this one or why, but I think certainly watch out for some of those uh, storylines before the, the, the race is over. You yeah, look yeah, like you yeah. want to say I, something now. You mentioned now. earlier, of yeah. course, the, the fact that last year's outcome wasn't ideal um, from a sporting perspective. And I think both you and I are of, I think, <laughs> yeah, I think you and I are both of the, the mindset that, hey, ultimately there were, there were complications with how the rules were applied and the rules themselves were problematic and, and weren't written in a, in a perfectly, perfectly, I would say, structured way. But I think both you and I acknowledge that ultimately the outcome was the result of human error. And you and I made the decision that we were still going to be Formula One fans and that we were going to move on. But I think it's mm-hmm. important for everybody psychologically to get a, another Abu Dhabi Grand Prix under our belt and put a little bit of distance between between us and the 2021 affair that obviously Red Bull fans look back at that with probably a lot of positive memories. But I think for everyone that wasn't a Red Bull fan, they look back at that uh, with some degree of disdain or frustration. So I think it's really good that we have a clean, competitive, fun Formula One Grand Prix so we can start to put some distance between that and 2021. In terms of my expectations, you make a really great point that that Lewis has won a Grand Prix at every season he's been in Formula One, 2007 until 2021. He's won a Grand Prix every year. This would be the first year. And of course, he's finished second five times. He's been the runner up five times this year, which is incredible. (laughs) But this is his last chance to secure a race win and keep that streak going. The other big question, and you and I kind of talked about this off the top, is there's still an outside chance that one, that George Russell could finish second in the driver's championship. Um, It's very unlikely, and it would take a couple of other drivers finishing out of the points and for him to win the race and score the fastest lap, but there's still a chance. But that said, there's still a battle between Charles Leclerc and Sergio Perez for second in the championship. And of course, I think Red Bull is very hungry to have that one-two finish. And again, from from a constructor's perspective, there's still that very real possibility that Mercedes could overtake Ferrari. And in terms of the constructors, that means some additional prize money, but it means less wind tunnel time. So there's a bit of a trade-off there. But I think Mercedes, given the fact that they've there's no reason to save their power units, there's no reason to save their gearboxes, will probably throw everything at this race. And I think it's important for them and it's important mm-hmm. for their drivers to go out of this season on a winning note. And I think finishing one-two in Brazil and a really strong result here will go a long way to the psychology of their two drivers going into the offseason, that they can go into the offseason content that, hey, we 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 ran the spectrum this year from being wholly uncompetitive relative to Red Bull to finishing one two by the time we get to Brazil that we overcame porpoising and all the other issues that that arose during the mm-hmm. championship that that will put them and everyone in the factory back at 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 Brackley um, in a really good place so when they go into the winter break they're all hyper motivated to come back in 2023 really strong but also that it's psychologically damaging to Ferrari and Red Bull that if they see a re-emergent Mercedes at the back part of this season and that makes things so much more psychologically <laughs> difficult for those teams because like, right? oh, right? here they come again. So there's a lot to watch for. And as we talked about off the top, Mick's last race in Formula One, Nikki's last race in Formula One, potentially Daniel Ricciardo's last race in Formula One, Sebastian Vettel's last race in Formula One will be saying goodbye to, to a lot of drivers. And of course, this race also pour straight into um, a round of tire testing with Pirelli. So we're going to be seeing a lot of the teams and drivers stick around for the following week to do testing. You know, it is interesting because Tim and I talked about it on the, the the race recap last weekend that, you know, for a race that really didn't have anything 
you know, and didn't mean anything in the larger uh, picture last weekend in uh, Brazil was a super enjoyable weekend right through qualifying of course you know magnuson taking advantage and getting lucky with the weather that was a great story the the sprint race was fun to watch the race itself it was just and we 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 both agreed that that was a weekend that formula one really needed because i i feel like we've there's been a I wouldn't say a funk, but I feel like we've had like a bit of a lingering kind of like hangover the all year. The back half of the season and I hasn't just... been enjoyable. I'll be very honest. Like I can yeah. always find things enjoyable yeah. about F1, but I haven't had a lot of fun. The yeah. first half of the season was great. The back half of the season has been really, yeah. it's been a letdown, I think. Yeah, I, yeah, very much. I mean, it was a tale of two seasons, and especially since the the the, the summer break. I mean, I mean, you know, I don't want to take anything away from Max and take away anything from Red Bull because they did what they Absolutely. needed to do, and they did Absolutely. it dominantly. And they, you know, they they've earned those 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 chips, right? I mean, and and congratulations to them. But I mean, just from a competitive sort of a spectacle point of view, it's it's kind of detracted uh, from from that uh, to a certain extent. But this last weekend, it was so enjoyable because there was so many uh, different things going on, and I'm hoping we'll see something uh, similar this weekend. And like you say, nobody's really got anything to lose at this point. I mean, of course, like the the places that are left up for grabs are you know, you know, are for for minor things rather than the big you know shiny trophies. But still, you know, there there's pride involved and teams and drivers want to do their best and improve upon where they are and i hope it uh, it leads to a a better spectacle so we're just now at the time of this recording not too far away from the very first uh, practice sessions qualifying just around the corner on saturday and sunday and then and then sadly sunday night after the smoke clears that that's it but we won't stop we'll still be here and we'll uh you know because you know where, what else are we going to do? A juicy right? tidbit, by the way. <laughs> I, I kind of teased this with you before we got started, but um, we'll wrap this episode sure, sure. up with a little bit of parents' corner. But uh, for those of you that don't know, oh, my son okay. started kindergarten this year, and he's been he's been something of uh, <laughs> he's been something of a handful for his teachers. And uh, one of the things mm-hmm. that we've discovered, which is not ideal, is that when he is answering his teachers at school, he answers either. Yeah, baby, or sure, bro. <laughs> so my four-year-old son in kindergarten answers to his teachers as sure, bro, or yeah, baby. So <laughs> again, this is all my fault. And I was telling you this before the show, but I, I kind of treat my son like as a doormate that we listen to a lot of rap music and a lot of wide watch a lot of TV and we're kind of bros, even though he's four years old. But unfortunately, a lot of that is spilling over into his vocabulary <laughs> school so now we have to kind of walk him down and like no you can't speak to you can't speak to your french teacher as sure bro or yeah baby (laughs) so so yeah that's uh that's my parents corner story for the week I uh, I don't even need to write that down. I've already committed that one to to, to memory. And on oh, that one note, more thing, one more thing. Gonna, I promise. I think we're going to. So say, at the beginning, oh, go ahead, you, go ahead. you shared that great stat about Vettel retiring and LH Chanel having more wins than the rest of the grid. Shout out to Finlay fifty eight from Reddit for that stat. And then finally, we got another great review this week. So again, if you have the opportunity, if you listen to us on Spotify, if you can give us a rating, it means the world to both of us. And if you listen on Apple, if you can give us a rating and a review 
or one of the two. Well, I guess you can't really do one of the two. If you can give us both of them, that would be amazing. It means the world to both of us. Like I always say, um, it means a great deal to the show in terms of being indexed and prioritized through the search engines, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, thank you to everybody that has been leaving us reviews. Like I said, it's uh, it's a real real sense of motivation because I think when you put yourself out there and you do a podcast or you create content, people are typically really quick to give critical feedback, um, but it's not so often you get great feedback. So to people like BJ Miller and, and Crabtree who gave us some really great comments earlier and to uh, everyone else that reaches out with with nice comments and supportive mm -hmm. uh, messaging and reviews, it means the world to both of us. And the emails from from Larry and Emma, and uh, I've got the yeah, review great. right here from uh, Joseph uh, Castorina in uh, Australia. He left a review on Apple Podcasts, and Joseph said, uh, "Great F one podcast that is on my must listen list all of the time. Keep up the great work." So, you know, stuff like this and the feedback and just the, the interaction. We you know we feel like this is an interactive show, and um, you know we we feel like the community is a big part of it, and we we just enjoy sitting down and and doing this and and talking with you guys. You know, either through the messages or and spaces and all that good, good sort of sort of stuff but we're going to wrap it there because you know it's my turn to take some advice from the parents corner my son was studying for a science test and it's pushing <laughs> 11 p.m here on on the west coast so i should see whether it, it's, it's quiet upstairs now so i don't know if that's a a good or a bad thing so anyways we're gonna like wrap it up uh, right there thank you all very much uh, for listening to the show this week if you want to get in touch send us a tweet on twitter obviously at scooter f1 pod or email us at scooter f1 pod at gmail.com that's a wrap enjoy the race we'll be back on sunday night to wrap up the season finale and until then have a great weekend we'll talk to you soon bye for now